This is the gallant crew that rode the big super fort which carried the first atomic bomb to Japan. Piloted by Colonel Paul Tibbetts, Jr. of Miami, carrying Navy Captain William Parsons of Chicago, who helped design the bomb as observer, and Major Thomas Ferraby of Knoxville, North Carolina, who pulled the plug on Hiroshima, the B-29 dropped its load of atomic death, which exploded with a force equal to 20,000 tons of TNT. A few days later, the second atomic terror was loosed on Nagasaki. Between these two rivers, damage was greatest, although no section of Hiroshima, a city of over 300,000, remained unscathed. For many days after the actual bombing, thousands continued to die of burns and shock. Latest reports from the Japanese say that 126,000 died as the result of the damage done by the single bomb that blasted the city. Shut then up. you maintain the status December 7th, 19th. Nine... The question a psychopath. The I was thrown to the ground with my bicycle, and my back was burnt by the blast and radiation in the blink of an eye. I felt the ground shaking for a while, and I thought I was going to die. But I assured myself that I couldn't die here. As things calmed down, I realized that the skin of my left arm, from the shoulder to the tip of my fingers, was trailing like a rag. Having felt no pain, I put my hand to my back and found my shirt was gone and something black and slimy was all over my hand. My bicycle was completely twisted like candy. It was so dark because of the smoke and dust being sucked up in the mushroom cloud and the ghostly procession. I say ghostly because they just didn't look like human beings. Their hair was just all standing up towards the sky. They were burned and blackened and swollen. Parts of the bodies were missing. And uh, they were covered with blood and clothes were tattered the flesh and skin hanging from their bones. Pretty soon we see people coming out from Hiroshima, or burned and skins are coming, you know, from face and arms, and they don't have a clothes on, or the burned clothes. And we don't know women or men even, you know. And they keep coming, and they say, oh, I want water, I want water. But uh, we don't have no water. I think being survivor is more scary than you get burned the next day you die, or something like that. <laughs> There's nothing left after. Then we have to struggle to live there. You have to keep going, right? You're listening to Hidden History. 
and I'm your host, Ellis Tucci. Hidden History is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and my website, www.hiddenhistory.show. If you like this episode, then I'd appreciate it if you subscribed on your preferred platform or gave me a follow on Twitter. My handle is at LSA Tucci. On August 6, 1945, an American B-29, christened the Enola Gay, dropped an atomic bomb on Nagasaki. But you probably already knew that. So what could you possibly stand to learn from this episode? Well, let's find out. This is Hidden History, and you're listening to episode 65, A Thousand Paper Cranes. On the 9th of May in the year 1147, a child was born who would later grow to become the founder of the Kamakura Shogunate. His name was Minamoto no Yoritomo and it's said that he was second only to the emperor in the power that he wielded. He had a somewhat strange hobby. Over the course of his life, he collected a thousand Japanese red-crowned cranes and released them back into the wild with a small gold band on each of their legs. You see, he wanted to measure how long they lived. The legend says that Yoritomo's banded cranes lived for a thousand years, and for centuries later, people whispered of seeing the gold-banded cranes in the marshes of eastern Hokkaido. It seems only fitting that when Yoritomo died in 1199, leaving behind a government that would rule for 200 more years, it said that his soul transformed into a crane and flew away. Origami, which comes from the Japanese words oru, meaning folding, and kami, meaning paper, can be traced back as early as the 8th century. But the oldest known book of origami dates to 1797. It's called Hiden Senbazuru Orikata, or the secret to folding 1,000 cranes. It's in this book that we have the first written account of a legend that can be traced back to the Kamakura Shogunate. If you fold 1,000 paper cranes in one year, the gods will grant you a single wish. In 1942, President Roosevelt authorized funding for the newly conceived Manhattan Project, with development happening simultaneously in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, Los Alamos, New Mexico, and Hanford, Washington. The following year after the completion of the Hanford Site B reactor, which you can learn more about in Episode 8, the United States began the refinement of plutonium, an element that cannot naturally be found anywhere on Earth. In Oak Ridge, they refined the isotope uranium-238 in order to isolate the unstable U-235, an isotope that's able to undergo nuclear fission. On April 12, 1945, 
Franklin Delano Roosevelt dies and is replaced by his vice president, Harry Truman, who is put on the ticket due to political maneuvering by the Democrats' conservative wing, who ousted previous vice president Henry Wallace from the ticket at the 1944 Democratic Convention. Wallace was a progressive Democrat who sought to end segregation and gender and race discrimination, as well as seek reconciliation with the Soviet Union. In May, a panel of government officials selected the targets for the atomic bomb. The final five were Kokura, Yokohama, Hiroshima, Niigata, and Kyoto. Secretary of War Henry Stimson successfully lobbied for the removal of Kyoto from the list because he had honeymooned there and held personal affections for the city. On July 16, 1945, the first nuclear weapons test, codenamed Trinity, took place in Alamogordo, New Mexico. As the United States continued its campaign of island hopping, and as the Red Army approached from the west, the Japanese Empire, stripped of all its overseas holdings, found itself facing insurmountable defeat. It only became a question of when. Less than a month after the Trinity test, the war would be over. And from two bombs, hundreds of thousands of civilians would die. In the following years, there was a popular conception in the United States that the atomic bomb had been the incarnate power of God's will, and that such a capability had been bestowed upon the United States because it was a good and righteous nation standing against the evils of the world. Until the 1949 test of the Soviet RDS-1 atomic bomb, nicknamed First Lightning, the United States was unchallenged in its nuclear primacy. The bomb was to be a harbinger of peace and for many Americans who had no direct knowledge of its terrible effects, that is exactly what it represented. There were, of course, many who saw the bombs for the monstrosities that they were, including General Dwight Eisenhower, the United States Strategic Bombing Survey, Navy Fleet Admirals William Halsey, Chester Nimitz, and William Leahy, General Douglas MacArthur, and the Assistant Secretary of the Navy, Ralph Bard, who had recognized that for weeks Japan had been searching for a way to end the war. In 1947, Robert Oppenheimer, one of the most important physicists in the Manhattan Project, said this during a lecture. Nowhere is this troubled sense of responsibility more acute, and surely nowhere has it been more prolix than among those who participated in the development of atomic energy for military purposes. In some sort of crude sense which no vulgarity, no humor, no overstatement can quite extinguish, the physicists have known sin, and this is a knowledge which they cannot lose. American Air Force General Curtis LeMay said, if we had lost the war, we'd be prosecuted as war criminals. The bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki are the end result of a campaign of total dehumanization towards the Japanese people. 
Nothing else could provide the justification for such rampant violence. After the first bombing, President Truman said that the only language they seem to understand is the one we have been using to bombard them. When you have to deal with a beast, you have to treat him like a beast. It is most regrettable, but nevertheless true. On January 7th, 1943, a girl named Sadako Sasaki was born in the small town of Kunosoki in the Yamaguchi Prefecture. Her family soon moved to Hiroshima, and on August 6, 1945, two-year-old Sadako and her family were a mile away from Ground Zero. The explosion threw her out of the window of her home, where her mother found her, uninjured. On their way out of the city, the two were caught outside as black rain began to fall from the sky. Yet, both Sadako and her mother survived the bombing and attempted to return to relatively normal lives after the war. In November 1954, almost ten years later, she noticed swelling on her neck. A few months later, the skin on her legs began to turn purple. Soon after, she was diagnosed with malignant lymph gland leukemia. She was given less than a year to live. In the summer of 1955, she was admitted to the Red Cross Hospital in Hiroshima. While laying in her bed, her father told her the story of Yoritomo's cranes, and how whoever folded a thousand of them would be granted a single wish. Sadako Sasaki began to fold. She used whatever she could find, from medicine wrappers to discarded scrap paper to whatever her friends could bring her while alone in the hospital. By the end of August, she had folded 1,000 cranes, but her wish had not come true. She continued to fold. She had made 300 more before her illness worsened. She lost her strength and eventually died on October 25th, 1955, at the age of 12. A statue of her stands in the Hiroshima Peace Park, her arm raised, holding a golden crane. A plaque at the base reads, This is our cry. This is our prayer. Peace in the world. What would you wish for?
America's greatest men were working hard then on the things that had never been before. When the Lord held out his mighty hand so that others in this world might understand that wars could never be and this world it must be free when they found the mighty, mighty atomic power. 